G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Let me read Luke 21. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Listen, part of you should say, okay, culture is driving me batty. I'm so sad at what's going on. But at the same time, you should be going, woohoo, Jesus is coming back. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. This week, Pastor Jeff continues his series, Under the Influence, a series about culture and society being under the influence of evil. We're about to hear the remainder of a message from last time about the correlation between the removal of Jesus in areas of culture and the increase of demonic forces around us. Pastor Jeff is reading various chapters in the Bible but he's mostly referring to Ephesians chapter 6, if you want to follow along there. And of course, if you're keen to catch up on the whole series, find all the episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines. For now, let's finish this message with Pastor Jeff. Now, again, if you go to Israel, if you go to uh, Ephesus, if you go to Turkey today, you're going to see all of these Bible lands. And part of the temple, you had the Agora, which was the marketplace, and surrounding the Agora were the the temples and the priests and priestesses, the pagan gods. And in those situations, sex was always used to procure money. It was a good way to make a living. Paul got in trouble because when he went to Ephesus, he preached against these statues and these gods. So let me read it to you in Acts 19. This is verse 23. About that time, there arose a great disturbance among the way. That's the Christ followers. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, that's Ishtar, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. Now, the business he had was making statues of Artemis and selling them. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. Makes sense to me. There's also danger, that is, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. (laughs) They They surrounded Paul. They wanted to kill him. Has Ishtar returned? She has flooded culture with sexual immorality. Sex is used in a myriad of ways to procure financial gain. Movie screens, music videos, magazines, internet sites, all attempt to draw a sexually crazed culture to the God that they serve while gaining significant financial resources. Jonathan Kahn, in the book I mentioned a few weeks ago, The Return of the God, says, as the ancient Mesopotamians read or listened to pornographic words and stories of Ishtar, he thought porn was new, it's been around since the early civilizations, 
And among the oldest writings in world history are the sacred hymns written to Ishtar. The Greek word for writing is graphos. The Greek word for Ishtar's profession is porne. So graphos and porne put together mean writings about the prostitute. And it's from that that we get our word pornography. And these writings flooded the ancient world. Men would read these writings. And now pornography in the form of pictures now floods the modern world. It's absolutely everywhere. So what the Jesus movement relegated to the fringes and in the dark and shameful places has now come out into the open. Now, I know this is difficult. Are you okay? Would you stay with me here? Okay. I'm trying to do so much in a short amount of time. One of the things that Ishtar concentrated on, and again, we know this, this, we know this because of history, okay? She concentrated on the metamorphosis and destruction of men. That was her forte. The goddess was never at ease with masculinity if it wasn't her own. Now, what do you, what do you mean? Well, because Ishtar, according to the ancient writings, had the ability to go back and forth with her identity. Her mission was to confuse gender and destroy the distinction between male and female. She was, in essence, a woman, but would often portray herself as a man. And her lovers were dominated by her and offered, suffered a tragic fate. Ishtar loved emasculating men. There's a Hittite hymn that goes like this. Grind away from men their manliness. Take away from men their zikartu. Zikartu is potency, masculinity, power. There's an ancient prayer that speaks of Ishtar's power to emasculate men. It says, take away their swords, that is the men, their bows, arrows, and daggers, then put into their hand the distaff. A distaff is used for sewing. And the mirror so that they can look at themselves. Women were shown to have strength by Ishtar. Men were portrayed as weak. Now, why? Because Ishtar was not only the goddess of sexuality, she was the goddess of destruction. She wielded a sword because she wanted to destroy. And what she wanted to break, according to the ancient writings, is marriages, families, mothers and fathers, and ultimately culture and civilization. Why would she do that? Here's the answer. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The demonic forces know that God treasures you and me. Hey, if you want to hurt me, how do you get to me? How do you hurt me? You can't really hurt me. If you walk up and punch me in the face, that'll hurt, but I'll get over it. But if you hurt my wife, whole different ballgame. When you really want to hurt somebody, hurt the ones they love. The demonic forces know the depth of the love of God for us. They seek to destroy everything about humanity and human culture. They're aware of their coming destruction and they want to take as many as us with them as possible. But there's something else, according to the ancient writings, not in the Bible now, but the earliest writings from Mesopotamia, Ishtar had the power and the desire to turn women into men and men into women. That is ultimately what Ishtar was about. This is evident in the stories of Ishtar and the practice of transgender prostitutes in her temple worship. Now, why would she want to do something like this again? Well, the demonic world takes something that is sacred and desacralizes it. A person's race is sacred. It's given by God. That's why racism is an act against God. But a person's sex is also sacred, given by God. To attempt to alter or violate or decimate a person's sex is to violate the sacred. The demonic forces behind the goddess, they seek to take a gift that God has given, designed to bring joy and vitality in the human experience, and the dark forces use that gift that is God-given to violate parameters that turn something good into something that destroys. And it's one thing to demasculinize men and defeminize women, but to superimpose the two, it's quite another. And so we read in history that the priests and the ministers in Ishtar's temple 
her temple singers, her ritual performers, the Asinu, the Kargu, the Kalu, and the Gala, were all known for taking on appearances that were unreflective of their true identity. So Ishtar's male priests feminized themselves. They appeared as women. They dressed in women's garments. They made up their faces. They were cross-dressers, transvestites, non-binary, bi-gender, and androgynous. The demonic goddess Ishtar would often herself appear as a man or a woman or attempt to be indistinguishable. Her androgyny is attested in the cultic personnel, which included eunuchs, transvestites. During her parades, she would force the women to carry hoops, or force the men, rather, to carry hoops, which was indicative of women, and force the women to carry swords, indicative of men. You with me? Can I ask you, do you think Ishtar has returned to the West? Have you noticed what's happened in our world? To speak of a man as being particularly masculine or manly, or as especially possessing male traits, is now looked upon with disdain. To speak of a woman who's especially feminine or wildly is a no-no as well. If possessed by a male, maleness is a negative attribute. If possessed by a female, femininity is an attribute of little value or retrograde. On the other hand, if male traits are possessed by a woman, they are to be celebrated and admired. And if female traits are possessed by a man, they're to be honored and applauded as a virtue. Do you know what that is? Demonic inversion. There's another hymn sung about Ishtar that goes like this. She adorns a man as a woman. She adorns a woman as a man. And now here we are in history in an era never experienced before in human history. A concept has been invented to make all this appear good rather than evil, gender identity. And now it's possible to divorce oneself from one's biological gender. Is gender dysphoria real? Of course it is. Remember how I started the sermon? Love, compassion? Of course it is. But why, historically, has it been such a minuscule percentage, less than one half of one half a percentage point, and in the last 10 years, it's risen 20-fold? It's because elders and teachers began telling our children that perhaps they're a boy rather than a girl, or a girl rather than a boy in the formative years. That if a boy has a few feminine traits, then maybe he's a girl. Man, if that's true, I'm... I'm I better not say that. (laughs) If you knew me when I was younger, that if a girl possessed or desires masculine traits, then maybe she's a boy. Do you know how ludicrous that is? It's ludicrous. Do I feel sympathy for the children experiencing that? Absolutely. But I would never want to go back to high school or junior high. Would you? I would never want to go back to those days. No way. Too hard. So confusing. The brain's not even fully developed. But in the past, in Judeo-Christian society, we had coaches and leaders and teachers who would mentor and guide our young children through these difficult mazes so that they could move out into their world successfully. I'm not belittling those feelings. I know they're real, but they are subjective. Man, I felt differently every day when I was in junior high. What is the objective truth about you? That's the question. Your sex is sacred, given to you by God, and your best life is lived within those confines. This dysphoria has significantly increased because demonic forces are no longer on the fringes. I'm trying to get you to see that. It's wacky because the demonic forces bring in destruction. So now we have teachers, not all teachers. I know there's some of you teachers and you're good. But we have teachers, some teachers, planting the seeds in the minds of boys and girls. That there's something different than their biology suggests. We have Hollywood and Disneyland convincing our youth that girls can be princes and boys can be princesses. 
that the age-old fairy tales need to be rewritten. That if a boy or girl desires to see their favorite fairy tale characters at Disneyland, he or she will find that boys and girls no longer exist. That the two words boys and girls are now considered profanity and hate speech. The keepers of the magic kingdom have made these identifiers disappear like magic. Yeah, it's magic, okay. It's the magic of the goddesses Ishtar, Ashtoreth, and hundreds of others who are empowered by the principalities mentioned in Ephesians 6. In the Hittite prayer in ancient writings, Ishtar is described as possessing the power, and I quote, to make young women dress as men on their right side, to make young men dress as women on their left side. A strange spirit has infiltrated our society. The demonic forces have marched back in. Are you with me still? Can I finish? When the Jesus movement entered Western civilization, the people walked away from paganism and the gods and goddesses went into exile. So the condoning of homosexuality and other related behaviors came to an end. For hundreds and hundreds of years, when Ishtar and demonic forces went into exile, their temples closed. A Sinu priest and her cross-gendered personnel left the temples, followed the goddess into exile. They disappeared to the dark places, the fringes of society. In the new Judeo-Christian era, lesbianism, homosexuality, cross-dressing, transvestitism would be seen as immoral, sinful, an inversion to God's holy design. In Christ and Scripture, God had revealed a disdain for these things and clearly said that those who practice them and teach others to do as well will be held accountable. However, if the goddess returned, the values and practices of her cult and worship would also return. Society would once again accept and celebrate these things that Christ had forbidden for the good of humanity. Is that not where we are? So, in the month of June 1969, an uprising took place in New York City at a place called Stonewall Inn, a gay bar in Greenwich Village. The bar was owned by the mafia. It was a gathering place for gays, lesbian, transvestite prostitutes. The stone wall literally featured every kind of sexual immorality in a time when it was illegal. And the bar was also known to practice to, to sell liquor without a liquor license, but they got away with it because the mafia would bribe the police to ensure their existence. However, in late June 1969, the police raided the bar in the early hours of the night and harangued about 200 people. Most of the 200 people were released on the streets, but they didn't go home. The police pursued the bar owners and the employees and a number of cross-dressers and homosexual prostitutes. And as they were loading them into the bus, something seemed to take hold of the crowd. Now, I'm not dramatizing this. When you go home tonight, Google Stonewall Riots and you can read the story. They began hurling objects at the police, bricks, bottles, rocks. And the rage was so violent and out of control that the police retreated into the bar and barricaded themselves out of fear of their lives. But the crowd came after them, charging the bar, attempting to break open the front door. The riots went on for days. It was called, again, they were titled the Stonewall Riots. And these riots would launch a movement that would be commemorated by multiplied millions and would evolve into where we are today. Now, what's interesting to note is the Stonewall in New York City had become a haven for all that is Ishtar, a place of celebration of what was previously uncelebrated. Now, again, just a quick pause. I find it amazing that even though historically speaking, all of this activity has proven to be incredibly destructive, it's almost like culture is possessed by some evil force. We close our eyes and celebrate the destruction of people. The suicide rate among those who go through mutilation surgery in their teens is unbelievably high. 
Why would a culture promote something that has a high probability of causing such drastic consequences? 1.8 million gay and lesbian youth consider suicide every year, one attempt every 45 seconds. Now listen carefully. As society normalizes gay and lesbianism, the suicide rate does not go down. Why would we celebrate something? Let's keep going. Come on. The Epic of Gilgamesh describes Ishtar's rage. The Epic of Gilgamesh is a poem from ancient Mesopotamia, the earliest of civilizations. And in the story, Ishtar attempts to seduce the hero Gilgamesh, and he resists. So she calls down the bull of heaven, and Gilgamesh and his associate Enkidu wrestle the bull and win. Ishtar responds by, and I quote, mounting the great wall of Uruk. So she climbs the city wall, vents her anger, she calls down curses on all those who offend her, who don't agree with her way of life. And she chose as the place to call down the curse, a place called Stone Wall. The ancient wall was known for its massive number of bricks. The Stone Wall Inn in 1969, New York City, was also known for its facade, a wall of bricks. And the events that triggered all that followed in the mythological story was Gilgamesh's scathing rejection of the goddess. As she stands on the wall, the first thing she says, and I quote, Woe unto Gilgamesh who slandered me. <laughs> How had Gilgamesh slandered the goddess in these ancient writings? Well, he told her, I'm not going to become your lover because everybody becomes your lover dies. Pretty smart dude. <laughs> You're toxic. You're unstable, deadly. Never say that to a woman. <laughs> he called her, and I quote, the stone that buckles the stone wall. The point I'm making is Stonewall has been around for thousands of years, and it's always in connection with the goddess of sexuality long before the Stonewall riots. Don't you find that just a little bit uncanny? It stood for taverns, prostitution, transvestitism, transsexuality, homosexuality, and the crossing of genders. Stonewall were the words used to describe the goddess' destructive power around the world. And now in 1969, Stonewall once again joined the goddess. Her way of life was rejected. Her fury was ignited. In ancient times, the goddess would cause the stone wall to buckle. In New York City, the gateway to America, she would cause another wall, a wall of ancient origins to buckle. The moral hedge that had served Western civilization for nearly 2,000 years, the wall was about to buckle and collapse. There's so much more I could say. In the ancient stories, Ishtar would always choose an avatar. So somebody that was of her own, she would choose an avatar through whom to do her work. And her work of destruction was described, and I quote again, she tears away the wife from a man's embrace. They snatch the son from a man's knee. They take the wife away from a man's embrace. So the goddess's most dramatic impact in culture until the Jesus movement was to separate a man from a woman and a woman from a man, the deconstruction of the family, the disintegration of the family. But you know the primary symbol used to describe Ishtar? She had all these symbols, but you know, and I mean major, the storm. Ishtar was associated with the storm. You charge forward like a charging storm. I'm quoting again ancient writings. You roar with a roaring storm. You continually thunder. She brought out a magnificent battle and called upon the great storm. She was covered in the storm and the flood. Great lady in Yanya, Ishtar. You destroy mighty lands with arrow and strength and overpower lands. You keep attacking like an attacking storm. Kept on blowing louder than a howling storm. Kept on thundering louder and louder. So the goddess was ultimately given the title storm. At Stonewall in 1969, again, look it up. The woman believed to have started the riots working as a lesbian bouncer in the bars. The one, according to eyewitnesses, who threw the first punch, who went berserk, who fought viciously with the police. Perhaps the avatar of Ishtar 
re-entering into the arena from which the Jesus movement had expelled her, was the woman who started the rage that would carry on until full destruction. She would actually become quite famous. Her name, Stormy. Man, I could go on, but I'm not. That's enough. Okay, what's my point? Number one, this is the important part. The church has to wake up. The church is the hope of the world. Stop sniping at people you think that are worse than you. That's not going to help. Where's your compassion? If the demonic forces have taken over, when Jesus met demonic people, he he didn't shout at them. He, He didn't strike them. He prayed and cast the demon out. And in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God is waiting on the church to purify itself and to pray for revival. Stop worrying about out there. You stop doing things you know you shouldn't be doing. If you're addicted to pornography, repent. Stop it. You're sleeping with somebody you're not married to, stop it. He's waiting for the church to purify itself. Let's us get pure. Let's us repent and pray for. These sins are all equal in the sight of God. And God has been ousted in the gods of return. Do you realize that you are living in a very dangerous time? If my view of Revelation is right, it could be, could be wrong. It's a hard book. But if I'm right, these are those days. You're in them right now. And you better watch your back. Because if you're not careful, you'll be sucked into the vortex of the world. And you'll start rationalizing and you'll start becoming just like the world. These are serious things to God. You better repent. If you're involved in any of these, you better repent now. And you better teach your children. Teach them what is right. Teach them very clearly. And by the way, if you're a teacher and you're a Christian and you're in our schools, I'm encouraging you to do everything you can to undermine this system that is attacking our kids. Teachers, I know you have it hard. I know you have it hard. But can I tell you something? You all may be little Esther's. You may have been called by God for such a time as this. It may cost you your job. It may cost you some money. But you've been called by God. Don't you dare be part and partial to something that destroys a whole generation of kids. Now be wise, be shrewd, but do everything you can to undermine it. Number two, quickly. The church has to not only wake up, it has to look up. Stop sniping and pray. James 5, 16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man evadeth much. Pray, that's what you do. And finally, third, because of time, the church has to lift up, lift up their heads. Let me read Luke 21. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Listen, part of you should say, okay, culture is driving me batty. I'm so sad at what's going on, but at the same time, you should be going, woohoo, Jesus is coming back, right? I mean, in finals week in seminary, I hated finals week because, man, I knew it was going to be tough, but I knew on the other edge of finals week was Miami Beach. So when you see these things happening, keep your head up. Redemption draweth nigh. We're going to go home, our real home. We're not going to have to put up with this stuff anymore. It's going to be the greatest reunion known to man. 
The people that we've loved and lost, we're going to be with again. So go out, keep living, keep loving, keep telling the good news of the gospel, keep caring about people. Compassion, not hate. Compassion, not hate. Love, not hate. Stand up for what is right, but do it in a way that is compelling. And you will send revival across this land. Father, I pray in Christ's name that you would take anything that I've said that is not consistent with your word and it will be trampled on and forgotten, but anything that I've said that is consistent with your word, it would go deep into our hearts. And when we hear messages like this, may we be motivated by compassion for those who have been overtaken by something that is very difficult to explain, but something that is no less real. Let us stand up for what is right, stand against the things of culture that try to devalue things like love and marriage and covenant and commitment. And Father, I pray that you would use this church among many to bring the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness so that the light of life may be given to all people. In Christ's name, everybody said. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me want to dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will bring this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.